Shalom, shalom. What an honor to be in the room with all of you tonight. I hope that you're comfortable with one another because look to the person next to you. You're going to have to spend an eternity with them one day. And that's exactly what this festival is about. That's what we're looking forward to. We are celebrating that eighth day. That is the new heavens, the new earth where God makes all things new. All right. So, brothers and sisters, I'd just like to start off with a prayer. Father, we thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are the one who is in our midst tonight. Not just in it, we're not just in the midst of each other, but the King is in our midst. Father, we thank you for what you have given us in the Messiah. And we ask, Lord, that tonight would be like a wedding rehearsal like we've never had. Uh, we would get a taste of that future time with you. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, amen. So today I would like to just share with you a little bit about this feast and more specifically this eighth day that Steve mentioned. Um, for some of you who may be new to this, the Feast of Tabernacles is where we are at today. This is the seventh feast of Father's biblical festivals. We have spring feasts and we have full feasts. The spring festivals are fulfilled and they have much to do with the first coming of the Messiah. Where on Passover, he was crucified, sacrificed as our Passover lamb. On the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was put in the grave. And then we have him resurrected, the festival of first fruits. And 50 days later, the promise, ho promised Holy Spirit is poured out. And that is the fulfillment of those spring feasts. And now we are left with the full festivals, unfulfilled, still to be fulfilled, still to happen. And it has everything to do with his second coming. The festival of trumpets, how we read in the word, how he will be returning with the blowing of a trumpet. And then we have the day of atonement, where the sheep and the goats are separated, also known as judgment day traditionally. And then we come to today, the feast of tabernacles, representing the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the lamb. All right, so I would like to this is, that's just a short introduction to the festivals. What I'd like to, with, to submit to you today or tonight here is that each of us, we're on like a boat. And you're on this journey called life. And each of you, you have a destination. You're, you're on the way to somewhere. And, and my hope and prayer is, is that destination is the Messiah. And see, brothers and sisters, we, every boat has a rudder. The thing that steers that boat. And that rudder, the Father's heart is for that rudder to always be pointing towards His direction. Because if you know anything about navigating a boat, you'd know that if you're on a long journey and that rudder is a little bit off, when we're talking about a long journey, that means that we can easily start missing our destination. And so I want to submit to you that a feast like this is not just the celebration of this future event, but it is we are coming to the Father tonight and we're saying, Lord, what is there? Is there anything that has caused my rudder to be off track? 
Is there anything on the way to this destination that I need to know? And sometimes we need to allow the Father even to bring a storm on our path. Sometimes he needs to come and he needs to rock our boat with truth even if, if necessary. And so I want you, as we celebrate these feasts, and annually I want you to come to these feasts with an open heart and allow the Father to come and teach you what is this next year going to look like on this journey that you are on. I want to submit to you that the disciples were on a boat one night. They were, they were, and there was a storm that came upon that boat. And as the storm came upon the boat, they, they got so scared and frightened. In fact, they said, we are certainly going to perish. Now, think about that for a second. We're talking about a bunch of fishermen. These are hard guys. They, they are not, uh, boat, boating is not a new thing to them. The waters is not a new thing to them. So for them to say, we're going to perish because of this storm, you know, that's a big storm. That's a scary storm. And while all this is going on above deck and they're just scared and afraid, the Messiah, he's sleeping below deck. He's there and he's taking a nap. This storm is rocking this boat. This boat seems like it's about to crumble any moment, but the Messiah is sleeping. Think about the faith. Think about the peace. Think about the trust in his father that he had. And then eventually they get him to get awake from his slumber and he comes and he asks them, why are you afraid? Do you not have faith? You see, I want to submit to you that the, that was, that's a picture of even what the Messiah was in their lives and in, and in our life. The Messiah was, you know, he, he waved his hand and that storm ended, of course. But he, his, his presence in their life was almost like a storm. It was like he came into their life and he demanded change in the way they think about life, the way they were doing things, right? And that's what he asked of us. That's what's, what, what we call discipleship. When he call, calls us into this new relationship where we put all things aside to imitate our king. And so it's interesting because that storm for the, for the disciples was like a scary and a horrible thing, but for the Messiah, it ended up, for him, it was a good thing from his perspective because he used it as a teaching moment. It is, he used it to inspire growth. And that's exactly what we hope for the Father to do, even when he allows a storm to come near our boat. So, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that the Messiah not only saw that as a good thing, he saw even the very thing we, we, are, we call death as a good thing, something to be gained from. He, he, the disciple, um, the Pharisees came against him and he said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And they thought he's talking about the temple, but we know he was speaking of his body. He was not afraid. He, was, he understood that death is not the end of the road. And he understood that if we do not die, if there is not a death, there is not a resurrection. And so this hope of the resurrection is what this festival is about. This thing where we, God says, you, you do not fear death like the world does because there is a hope of a resurrection. And not only that, there's this, there's this physical death which we are saved from, but there is also a, a different kind of death he calls us to. 
to be crucified with the Messiah, to lay all things aside, to be like him. And that is what we call being reborn. When he was with Nicodemus, Nicodemus said, How, oh, what are you talking about? Shall I enter back into my mother's womb? And it's, it's, I mean, Nicodemus has a point. What does he mean? Right? Brothers and sisters, if you think about natural birth, we all know that when the water breaks, mommy is about to deliver a baby. And we're going to run to the hospital or wherever to deliver the baby. That is the signal. And we, each and every one of you sitting here, you were born through water. And similarly, when Israel, they were before the Red Sea, right? And they, the sea was before them. The sea was split by Moses and the power of the God split the sea. They went through the sea and be, behind them as the sea collapsed on Pharaoh and his chariots, we see that Israel looks back on what occurred there. And they look back on their old life. And that we see is like a type of baptism. It is like the, a picture of the reborn experience that we can all have. And that is what baptism is today, where we can become reborn. And I want to read this to you, John 3, verse 5. Yeshua answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now you may ask, Peter, why are you, we're, we're at Tabernacles, why are you speaking about this? Because this festival is the water feast. It has everything to do with water. And I want to show that to you tonight because the Father, Yeshua, hinted throughout the Word in our New Testament at this very festival. So I want to start off by just telling you a little bit about how this day was celebrated in the first century while the Messiah was walking in the flesh. What would happen is that the priest would go and they, they would take water, and they would take wine, and what they would do, I have a picture for you here, they would parade with the water and with this wine through the streets, and the people would be having a joyous celebration, they would be blowing trumpets like we blew trumpets tonight, and they would go and they would pour this water and pour this wine onto the altar at the same time. In fact, I want to just read to you a little piece of a historical document here just to give you a picture of what this was like. Whoever has not seen the celebration of the water libation has never experienced the feeling of true joy. Great lamps of gold were hoisted with four golden bowls at the top of each lamp. Four young priests in training would climb to the top carrying immense oil jugs with which they would fill the bowls. And once lighted, there was not a courtyard in all of Jerusalem that did not glow with the light that emanated from the celebration in the temple courtyard. So while the temple was standing, what they would do is they would hoist these golden bowls of, and they would basically be giant fires, like candles, but fires that emanated this light from the temple, illuminating all the, the, the courtyards surrounding the temple in Jerusalem. Now here's the amazing thing. On the Feast of Tabernacles, when this was taking place, that temple up there, lighted up the way it was, was known as the light of the world. Now, if I told you as a believer, a, a Christian, 
you know, whatever you call yourself, a follower of the Messiah, you, if I say a light of the world, the light of the world, you're thinking of what Yeshua called himself, right? But see, when you go to a first century Jewish person and you tell, tell them about the light of the world, they're thinking about the temple in the first century on the Feast of Tabernacles being lit with those golden bowls of fire. So now we know that what Yeshua did, though, is he came and he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's making this messianic statement. He's saying, I am the light of the world. I am the thing that this has always been pointing to, guys. And not only that, I want us to think about the context wherein he is saying this. You see, when we read it, it says, we see that he said this, I am the light of the world. And then he goes and he takes the mud, the famous story. He anoints the blind man's eyes. He sends him to the pool of Siloam and he comes back seeing, right? Now, this is beautiful because it's a lot to do with this festival. See, brothers and sisters, when we think about the pool of Siloam, we need to understand that the Messiah never did anything by coincidence. Everything he did was with purpose. There was a purpose to the mud. There was a purpose to the pool of Siloam being the pool of Siloam where he had to wash himself. Because the pool of Siloam was the very place that the priest would go on the Feast of Tabernacles, the very body of water, to draw that water, which they would parade through the streets to ultimately pour on the altar with the wine. And Yeshua knew this, so he is saying, I am the light of the world. The fa- this thing you've been celebrating, this Feast of Tabernacles, I am that light. And he then says, I am then also now the water I am the one who provides the healing waters that bring healing to your soul, healing to your physical body. So he's making this profound statement in this simple story of healing this blind man. And so I want to go on here and I want to show you also, talk about the Samaritan woman, famous story. This, she's coming every day to the well of, of the water to try and get herself filled. And, and he tells her, you know, you... You have, you're right, you don't have a husband. The man you're with right now is not your husband. You have been basically running and jumping from boyfriend to boyfriend. You have been trying to get yourself satisfied. You've been searching for something. You have a, a thirst. There is a thirst that you have. And every day, and he's, he's equating it, he's saying, just like you come every day to this well, every day you need to come and, and quench your thirst, just like that. Every day you're going from worldly thing to worldly thing, from man to man or whatever it is, and you're trying to quench this thirst that you have. And then he makes this profound statement. He says, I am loving waters. Whoever drinks of me will never go thirsty again, right? The one who ever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, brothers and sisters, it's amazing. He's not just saying you will drink of me. It's not just that you will be satisfied, which is incredible. You will get your thirst quenched, but in you will a spring of water be created welling up to eternal life. And that's exactly what happened to her. Because I want you to think what happened next. 
She is sent, basically. She goes to Samaria. She's been touched. She's been changed by this encounter of the Messiah. And she is running in joy to proclaim to the Samaritan people that I think I just met someone really important. And she becomes one of the first evangelists ever sent by the Messiah to a people to proclaim the king that has come. So not only did she get a taste, not only did her thirst get quenched, but she became that well. She became a well of living water that anyone who would choose to drink of would get a taste of that Messiah who gave her that water. And so I want to also take you further to the day that you sh- we're gonna, we just read in earlier in the book of John about the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. Now we're going to jump a few chapters later, John chapter 7. And now we are with the Messiah where he is at the Feast of Tabernacles. On the last day of the feast, the great day. It's kind of significant for tonight. Yeah. The great day. Yeshua stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because he was not yet glorified. So now he is repeating what he just told the Samaritan woman earlier, a few chapters earlier. He is saying, I am the water. Keep in mind when he is saying this, they know what he is saying. Because they are taking the water. They are pouring it on the altar. They understand the significance. He's saying, I am the water. That if you drink of me, you'll be satisfied. You, and not only that, that out of the one who drinks from the Messiah, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water too. Just like that Samaritan woman. So it's twofold, not just you get healed, but you become a vessel from where others will drink and be satisfied from too. And it says here what the water represents, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it says that when he was saying this, the Spirit was not yet poured out, right? Because he had not yet been glorified yet. But what happened at his glorification? What happened at his crucifixion. You see, brothers and sisters, he was hanging on the cross and a spear was driven through his side. And out of his side came pouring blood and water. The blood, as we know, represents the remission of our sins, how his blood was spilled to make us clean. But, not, not, but it, he didn't just die for blood, as beautiful as it is, as amazing as it is, that is our hope of salvation. Hallelujah. That was poured from him, that blood, but there was also water that poured from his side. You can see the Messiah died for us to be saved, but he also died. He said to Peter, when they say, why are you leaving? Why are you going? It is a good thing that I go so that the Holy Spirit can be poured out. And that's exactly what the water, like we mentioned earlier, represents. So he died. Think about this, brothers and sisters. Half the reason for why the Messiah was crucified was for the Spirit to be poured out upon his people. 
So he didn't just die to get us into heaven. He died so we can become a spring, a well of of water welling up to eternal life for others to drink from, for others to get a touch of his presence from. That is through the Holy Spirit. Now I want to take this further. At the wedding of Cana, this is a famous story. It was a wedding. Feast of Tabernacles is about a future wedding. This feast where he was at, this wedding, his mother comes to him. You guys know the story. And she says, Yeshua, we have an issue. We're running out of wine, and that's a big problem. And he says, women, it's not my time yet, right? And then she just says, hey, servants, listen to him and do whatever he tells you. And, he, and she just lets them go to do, and let him do what he has to do. And he goes ahead, and you know, he tells the servants, go and t- take, go to these stone jars and fill them with water. And when these jars of water hit the brim, the miracle occurs, and the water turns into wine. And this wine is served at this wedding, and when the master of the wedding gets to, t- to taste it, he says, wow, you have saved the best for last. Because of course, that's unheard of. You don't serve the best wine at the end when everyone's had a few drinks, right? No, you save the best for last. Brothers and sisters, this is amazing what is happening. You need to understand the Messiah is coming. He is sending servants. That's you. He's sending servants. And he tells his servants, go and take the water, which I provide. We've read how he provides the living waters. And you go And you go to these jars, these stone jars. I want to submit to you, those stone jars represent people. And I want you to go with this living water. And I want you to fill these jars to the brim. And when these jars of water hit the brim, God does the miracle. And it turns into wine. Good fruit is is born. And these jars are served for others to drink from. And when they drink, when they see this wine, they will say, wow, the best has been saved for last. When they have a drink and they see the wine, we know the wine is the witness of the blood. The people will say, wow, where do I get this? Where did this come from? I need a taste of this. See, brothers and sisters, we are sent out into the world to, as servants to fill jars, fill people with this water. Like that Samaritan woman was sent to fill Samaria with the water. And these jars, a miracle takes place in them. It's called salvation, where the blood is bo- witness, the witness of the blood is born to the whole world, for the whole world to see and have a taste of. For them to say, I need this. Do you start to see the immense, the cherished opportunity, honor, pleasure that he is giving us at this wedding feast? This place where we are now, we are in hope. We're looking in hope of the future. But see, while we are here, he has given us a commission. He's given us a a, 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 a a job, something, a, a cherished honor. And that's what he is telling us throughout the pages of the scriptures. And so while we look forward to that wedding, I want you to think tonight in my life, where am I at and am I living in anticipation of that future? 
Because see, brothers and sisters, you know the, the parable of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. They were all waiting for the king. They were all there. They all fell asleep. None of them knew when he was going to come back. But there were a few of them, five of them, who had the oil. And there were five of them who had no oil. Right, sisters, I want to submit to you, Yeshua said, I am the light of the world. He also says, you are the light of the world. And so what he, see, I want to submit to you something about those virgins. You see, they all were believers. They all were uh, anticipating his coming. They weren't living in the dark about that he was going to come back. But there were only five of them who had oil. And why is that? You see, if you go camping, this is what Sukkot we often do. We go camping. We get a tent. We get stuff, right? And we need to pack. If you've ever been on a camping trip, you always forget something. But the, thing that, but the things that you remember are the things that are most important typically, right? And so if you had to camp and you needed, you know that you didn't have electricity, you needed to get a light, you need to, and you need some oil. You're, the oil is on the forefront of your mind to pack into your suitcase or into your luggage or whatever it is. So I want to submit to you that the, all of them had lamps. All of them had access to oil because the five foolish virgins, they wanted to run and go grab some oil when he came in. So they all had access to the oil, the Holy Spirit. They all had access, but only five of them were prepared because they were preoccupied. They were thinking of it. On the forefront of their mind was, I need to be a light. I need to have a light shining. And see, if, we, if you live, you can live as a believer, but if you don't live in a way where I need to have my light shining, I always need that in my life, you will forget about the oil. You will forget to have it with you. And then when the bridegroom comes back looking for an equally yoked bride who is a light like he was a light, he is looking for a bride who has oil, who has the Holy Spirit, who has been walking with the Holy Spirit in power, in communion, who has been taking, being, was busy, preoccupied, being a light around her. He is coming back for a bride who will have the water like he had the water. He said, I am the living water. And if you believe in me, if you truly believe in what I say and you in belief is action, if you go ahead in that, then you will also have living water. You will then be an equally yoked bride, a bride that has the water. Brothers and sisters, that's what he calls us to. Are you with me? Are you with me? Hallelujah. This, this, is, the, um, this is not a burden. This is not, I, I want you to listen to me tonight and be like, hallelujah, Lord, thank you for giving me because it is an honor. The Lord could have done this all without us. He is powerful. He is mighty to save. He could do it without us, but he wants his bride involved. He wants you to go to your workplace, wherever you're at. He wants you to be a light. He wants you to be a spring, a well of living water too. And so as I, I'm close to finishing here, I want to take you to, I, want to remind, I want to take you to that blind man just a second more. And this blind man, he got healed, right? And Yeshua, we mentioned, he took the mud, he put it on his eyes. It's kind of bizarre. The first time I heard that, I remember I was like, why did he slap mud on his face? Like, but everything the Messiah do, he does with purpose. You see, brothers and sisters, if you go to the first century and you want to, 
You, you want to make a lamp or you want to have a lamp. The lamps of the virgins we just talked about, lamps were made from clay. They were made from mud in essence. And so we, there's a verse in our Bible, Matthew 6.22, where he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You see, he is taking this mud He is forming brand new lamps on this blind man's eyes. He is, and he says, if the, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if the eye is healthy, the whole body is full of light, you, are, you will be a lamp. And that's exactly what this blind man became. Well, he was blind, and now he saw. And the Pharisees came, and they interrogated him. It was a big deal back then, one of the, one of the first miracles. And they come, and they say, who did this to you? What happened? And then, and then he mentions the Messiah, and they say, no, that man's a sinner. And, and he, the blind man, he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But what I do know is I was blind, but now I see. And then they interrogate him more. They even interrogate his mother. And then he goes on, and, they, and he's like, why do you ask so many questions? The blind man, he's, you know, the man who's healed. Why do you ask so many questions? Do you also want to become his disciples? Brothers and sisters, he was a light. He was a witness. He could not keep himself from keeping quiet about what the Messiah had done for him. Every one of us in this room, we have been healed because we have been given eternal life. And so we should live a life where we cannot help but share to even those who don't want to hear about what he has done for us. So, I want to finish off here with, I just want to talk about the eighth day. You see, I am talking about many things here. I, I took you through the pages of our Bible and how the, we saw many witnesses of how God wants us to be these witnesses, of, to be a light, to bear these living waters. But see, when, I want to read to you here on the commandment in Leviticus 23:39. On the 15th day of the seventh month, When you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. On the eighth day, a solemn rest. So he tells us first day, eighth day, Sabbath rest, a solemn rest where you do not work. And then you have seven, a seven day long feast. I want to submit to you that the Feast of Tabernacles is all about how the Father desires to tabernacle with his bride, with his people. You see, in the garden before the fall occurred, he walked in their midst. He tabernacled among them. He was with them face to face. And then the fall happened. We were separated. There was a divorce. And then we fast forward into the wilderness with Moses, and God tells Moses to build a tabernacle. And God in, in the Holy of Holies is where the Spirit of the Lord would reside And this was all a picture of how the Lord is trying to draw more near to his people. And then we have about 2,000 years ago, the Messiah died for our sins. And we have the Holy Spirit poured out to reside in our temples. He's drawing closer, do you see? And now we are celebrating that day where we will see him once again face to face, like in the garden. So on the first day, When we rest at this feast, I want to submit to you that what we're doing is we are thinking back on the first day, like in creation, like in Genesis, in the beginning, 
And we are thinking back on that garden relationship that we had when he walked in our midst. It's, it's amazing because that was that we know it happened. So now we know it knew it happened, and now we know that he's restoring it back. He's already taken steps towards his bride, even residing with his spirit in us. And now on the eighth day when we rest, what we are doing is we're now looking forward to the future, the hope of the future bride, uh, wedding ceremony, and face to face, the garden restored back to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that's all how the Father has drawn near to you tonight. He has chosen you. And you just said, yes, that's why you're sitting here. And he, is, he delights in you. He calls you near. And he, and I desire for you, and he desires for you to be a wise virgin. So, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you. With all of this, I want to also share what our Messiah said in the book of Revelation at the way end. Revelation chapter 2, he says, he talks about this, these people. And, and I want to I share this because there's joy in this feast, but I, need to, I can't go home and not tell you about what you need to look out for. Brothers and sisters, my fear is sometimes for the bride that we have lost our first love, that sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes the complexities and the depths of his word, which I love, sometimes that can distract us from the simplicity of the gospel. And sometimes the, the good news that he has given us becomes old news. And we start forgetting about the simplicities that he's called us to. In fact, I want to just read Revelation 2 verse 4 in his own words. He says it better than I ever will. Revelation 2 verse 4 he talks about these people and he talks to these church, this church. He says, I adore the fact that you love righteousness and you know what's true. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now this is very scary He's saying, I will remove. That means you did have a lampstand. You had a light, but I will come and remove it from you if you do not use it. Return to the love you had at first, for you have abandoned it. What is the love we had at first? To answer that question, we simply need to think about the love, the, the, one of the greatest loves our Messiah had when he was here. And we need to secondly think about what was the love that you had at first when you came to the Messiah initially. You see, brothers and sisters, when you came to the Messiah, you didn't have a lot of good theology yet. You couldn't win all the debates yet. You weren't that smart with your Bible yet, and that's all right. You maybe had a lot of sin issues, but you did have something. You knew what he did for you. He came to you, and he saved you. And you couldn't, like that blind man, you couldn't help but tell people. They didn't even want to hear some of them. You may have even lost some friends along the way and gained some enemies but you wanted to share it. That's the love you had at first. And that's what the Messiah calls us to. He says, I call you back to the love you had at first. Use the light I have given you. Because when he was here, open your New Testament, go and read it for yourself. What was he busy with? He was in the field. He was in the midst of those who were sick and broken. And he 
waned to share the simplicity of the gospel that he has come for them, like that Samaritan woman. And that's what he calls us to. That is the love he called you to have and remain forever within you. We never want to get too smart for this. We never want to get so smart with our Bibles and Bible studies, which I love and is precious, but so smart that we forsake the love we had at first. Amen, brothers and sisters. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So I'm going to end it with this. The king is coming. He is going to come. It is, it is a sure thing. He is going to come. And just like Rebecca, you know, Eliezer, the servant sent by Abraham, was sent to find a bride for Isaac. And where did he go? He went to this well, and there was a well of water. And the sign was for who the bride is that she needs to come and draw the waters. And she needs to take the waters. And she needs to go and share the water with the stranger, Eliezer, and with his camels, filling them up, satisfying them. Your king is coming. And are you going to be a bride? That's my question. Are you going to be a bride like Rebecca, who will be anxious and prepared to serve the living waters for the strangers and for everyone? Because remember what Yeshua said. What you do to the least of these, you do unto me. So how you treat the strangers in this world is how you treat your bridegroom. I will leave you with that. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, this appointed time where you come and make an appointment with us one-on-one -on -one and also as a congregation. Lord, I ask that you would convict us. I ask that you would come with the power of your spirit upon us tonight. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would change us, that you would set us on fire to be a light to the world around us and a well of, of living water welling up to eternal life for people to drink from. Thank you for choosing us as your bride. Let us worship you. Let us take joy in you tonight and celebrate what you have done and will do for us. In the name of Yeshua, hallelujah, amen.